0: Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. St. Gregory the Great lived a very long time ago, but his words remain important for us today. Even though he was a pope and a bishop, he was foremost a leader. His book, On the Rule of Shepherds, is a hallmark of leadership from the Middle Ages to today. Looking at this book can give us insights into what Christ asks for from those who would follow him by leading others. All right, everybody, I'm just so glad that you took the time to come out here and invest in yourselves. We have got a class for you. We are opening up A whole series here on the teaching of St. Gregory the Great, De Regule Pastoribus. This is an amazing book, a letter that was written at the very beginning of Gregory's life as a Catholic bishop. Now, I know already what you're going to say. You're going to say, well, we're not bishops. We are people of business. We don't have time for this nonsense. And I would just like to say that that's a very ignorant statement. (laughs) And you're not allowed to say that kind of thing. Because the fact is, every Catholic bishop has a lot to teach us about leadership, just as they have a lot to learn from you in the world of business, you have a lot to learn from them. As a matter of fact, wouldn't it be neat to be able to look into the life of what these men who lead in the name of Christ have to experience in terms of spirituality and spiritual lessons in order to better understand what the Lord is asking for from you in the world of business? You know what I mean? Like how sad it is to divorce the two and say, well, no, we are the true leaders. You know, we're in the military. We're in business. We're in, you know, and and somehow or other Catholic bishops have nothing to say to us when in fact they're the ones who are leading in the name of Christ. So when it comes to leaders who show us what Christian leadership is supposed to be all about, they're supposed to be the preeminent ones. They give the example supposedly that then you're able to implement there in your own secular spheres, but I mean, like, if but to discount them and to say somehow or other that's not leadership, it's really to throw away an amazing opportunity that we can have to learn from them of the spiritual lessons that Jesus Christ teaches to each one of us in His church who are called to lead. After all, when he was on the earth, he didn't found a business, (laughs) he founded a church, and he didn't put managers, he put apostles, right? Now, the thing is, the beautiful thing is that the apostles manage, right, so that we who are involved in business management can learn how to manage in the name of Christ by looking at the one spot where our Lord taught management, and that was to those who would be his bishops, his apostles, so if it, again, this is not for everybody. Of course, you can learn all kinds of secular business models just from studying the apostles and looking at our Lord. Of course you can. But we aren't concerned with that here at the St. John Institute, right? We're here because you want to learn how do I bring faith into my business and my business into my faith? Now how do I unite the two? And so for us, especially, this has extreme importance to be able to look exactly at what the life of a bishop can teach us about management about leadership about the challenges that can come and how we can face them this is in fact the eminent place for you to come in order to learn christian leadership principles and that's why we're here with this class so this is a wonderful text i want to encourage you all to download it right now get ahead of it start to read it it's not that long it's only a total of 11 chapters it was written in, you know, around the late 500s, right? So this is a text that's 1,500 years old, and yet has such relevance for today, you're gonna see, it's absolutely amazing. And when the bishops back in the day, so of course there was no universal practice because this communication wasn't the same, etc., cetera, throughout the, the, the empire, but it was the custom for hundreds of years that when a man was named a bishop, they would put this text in his hands on the day of his ordination. He'd be given his book of the canons, the laws that he was to govern the church by, and they would give him this book to be the spirit that he would take into his governing. And St. Gregory the Great himself, he's one of the four, he's the last of the four major doctors of the Catholic Church. So when it's a major doctor of the Catholic Church, these would be the guys whose lives and writings simply made, you know, the biggest impact in the early days of the church. St. Augustine, St. Ambrose, St. Gregory the Great, right? So the, he's right in the same line as St. Jerome, you know, Jerome, Ambrose, Augustine, and Gregory. These four great doctors whose lives just have epitomized for us what Christ wanted and have been put up front the church as just the major teachers, Gregory actually writes for us as a shepherd, all about him being a shepherd. And it's amazing because in his own life, he never wanted to be Pope. He accepted the job of being a Pope during an extremely difficult time when no one really wanted the Pope to be around because you have the two competing forces, Constantinople on the one side and the Lombards on the other. Now, today we look at those and we say, what does that have to do with anything? We don't even think about these people anymore. But at the time in Italy, this was, there was so much political intrigue because of the economic forces that each of those two civilizations represented and the pressures that they were putting on Rome, that it took a mastermind like Gregory to rise up to meet those intrigues and to, to work to not only stabilize the church, but stabilize all of Italy. And this was a man who himself had founded monasteries because he wanted to live for God in a life of prayer. And the Lord took him from his life of prayer and spirituality and put him into a political context where he was doomed to fail without the grace of Christ. And he leaned on the grace of Christ and applied such incredible leadership to that era that they actually, when he died, gave him the name The Great because he did what no one else seemed to have been able to do. He secured peace and prosperity when threatened by two hostile powers, negotiating for them, making deals, and laboring as the leader that the people needed. It took a monk to step into the politics of the day and to find a way forward. It took someone who was willing to die for Christ and give his life for Christ to lay it down as a leader in service of the people. Because the people didn't need anyone who was going to run away. They didn't need somebody who was going to say it's too hard. They didn't, you know, what we need at times like this are people that stand up and say, I'm going to do the hard thing. I'm going to do the leadership that's necessary because I have given my life to Christ. I cannot flee now when the wolves are attacking. And maybe that's the first lesson each of you can take from this and the life of St. Gregory the Great. Look into your own hearts and say, are you leading for yourselves or are you leading for someone greater than yourself? If you're leading for yourselves, then when the wolves come, you'll join the wolves. <laughs> At least the wolves get to eat, right? <laughs> the sheep, sheep get eaten, the wolves eat. Which are you going to be, a wolf or a sheep, right? You say, well, I'm a wolf. Well, then that's because you're all in it for yourselves. But the, the follower of Christ is not in whatever we do for ourselves, regardless of the immense financial benefit that we might gain, it's not about finances. It's about the people who are starving for someone to make their lives better with them, to show them the way forward and the immense pressures that are upon them, to lay down their life for the sheep by leading them. And this is why you're here. And this is what St. Gregory is gonna teach us. This is Father Nathan. Are you thinking of starting your own business, or even better, thinking of starting your own ministry of some sort? As we know, success is not going to be determined solely upon spirituality. It also needs training, networking, understanding, and true leadership. This is why we started the St. John Leadership Institute in Denver, Colorado. Join our class this fall and start your business or your ministry on the right foot. Find out more on our website, stjohnleadershipinstitute.org. All right, so let's break into this awesome work. St. Gregory the Great on leadership. Uh, I'm gonna just gonna focus in on the first three chapters, okay, of this because it's not long. We're gonna just do this in a couple different sessions here, but for today it's gonna be enough for us just to get into this and take a look at these first three chapters. The name of the book again is Liber Regule Pastoralis. All right, the book. That is the rule of shepherds. The rule of shepherds. That's the first one. It says rule. What it means by that is the guidebook. Right. This is the handbook for shepherds that he wanted to write. And interesting, he begins his whole thing in a very fascinating way. Chapters one, two, and three, all about those who should never dare to be shepherds. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, this is discouraging for us all because we get this and we're like, okay, this book's all about me as a shepherd. Then you're gonna read it. You're gonna say, oh my goodness, I should never have been a shepherd according to Gregory. Well, let's be careful to not discount us too quickly. It's more like to say, hey, this is what you need to be aware of. Being a shepherd is like shouldering a burden. If you're not careful and you don't think of it enough, you might not have the strength to actually shoulder that burden. The stresses that are going to be put on the bridge, so to speak, need to be tested first or else the the bridge might collapse under the stresses that are going to come their way. right? And so being a, a shepherd of God's people, or at least being a shepherd in the name of God, being a Christian shepherd, it requires a preparation. A preparation that's not hard. It's mostly a preparation of the soul, right? It's, it's not so much that like you have to prepare by all kinds of classes and things. It's that you need to get yourselves ready for the kind of rule that you're going to give. Remember this. Our Lord is not calling you into business for your own sake. He's calling you into business for your sake and for the sake of all those whom you will bless by the leadership you're going to exert over your business and by the leadership that your business is going to exert in the world, So, and again, you might say, well, I'm not even a business. I'm just a mom. Stop saying you're just a mom, first of all. And then second of all, realize you're a mom for you. You're a mom for your kids. And you're a mom for everybody that your family is going to bless in this world. Every time we take on the role of leadership, everyone, we have those same three categories. God asks us to lead for our sake, that it sanctify us by humbling us immensely for the sake of those who will be blessed by the organization the effort the leadership that our lives will exude and influence over them and then the whole reason we're doing the thing is so that whatever we're leading be a blessing to everyone who encounters it it's the same in your family it's the same in your business and it comes from that same optic but in the heart of it at the heart of all three of those stands you The figure of the leader, the figure of the person that steps forward into the breach and says, I will render an influence. I will make this happen for the sake of everyone else. This is where the grace of Christ gets focused. This is where you need to recognize your own greatness. My goodness, if you fail, if you run away, if you don't follow in the name of Christ, neither will you be saved, nor your family, your children, your business, nor those that your business is for. Like, all that's necessary for evil to triumph in the world is for good people to do nothing. That's Thomas Jefferson, right? Easy, easy quote to remember. All that's necessary for evil to triumph in the world is for good people to do nothing right? Because as soon as good people don't do nothing, who suffers? Number one, you number, because you don't do anything. Number two, those whom you directly influence, your those whom you govern in your business, those whom you're supposed to manage because they've got a lousy manager. They don't have a good one. They got a lousy one. Well, that's going to really motivate the the troops, right? And then who else is going to suffer? Everyone who now is not able to be blessed by a successful, well-organized organization. And so what happens is a downward spiral. Just as every individual is influenced in our lives by the organizations, the institutions that support us. So it is that when those institutions and those organizations fail, when government, for example, fails, or when the the different things that we need to do together fails, individualism rises, egotism rises, and that means that power replaces service as the dominant matrix for the decisions of people's lives and folks when power replaces service as the dominant matrix that govern people's lives we we are in for the end of our body politic we can simply not live together as a world when everyone's in it for themselves i mean think about people at the times of of great strife or or civil unrest you know what, what are their lives like Aristotle, actually, when you go back to it, he he talks in his first book on politics, right? He talks about politics. And he says that we live together in order to attain the higher life, meaning that by myself, I can survive, okay? And with my little family, we can get by. But we form cities and states so that we can attain the higher things, the deeper things that we could never attain by ourselves. I mean, if someone told me this story once, and again, who knows how exactly true it is, but it made a lot of sense. They said that in, in the, the, the Native American tribes in Texas, for example, where this story came from, there was so much civil unrest between tribes, between the, the, the whites that were invading, between the tribes themselves, that when the Native Americans would emerge from their teepees, their habit was to emerge not fully erect, but stooped over kind of like running towards the bushes. And this was, of course, the, the, the whites would have the same situation going on at the, at the time. I mean, when you knew that you could be attacked at any moment when you're going through the woods to get food, to get water, to build your cities, you can imagine the trauma that you would undergo. Well, how, I mean, you can't exactly be sitting there inventing mathematical equations or building pyramids or figuring out how to cure cancer when you can't even know, you know how to survive. So the the basics of our life are given to us as individuals, but the higher things require cooperation. What does cooperation require? Leadership. The place where leaders exert their influence is in creating a harmony so that each individual of the group can flourish given the set of circumstances that the leader is there in order to guard and protect from moms and dads to business leaders to business owners, you're there and your role given to you is there in order to allow every single person who comes into your influence to gain what they need in order to live at a higher level. So in a very, in a very true sense, you're there as the servant of the people for whom, or whom you are leading, right? It's like, I have to have that in sense. And that's why you're so important. Because the moment that you get taken out, the moment that you start doing it for yourselves, everybody fails. We all depend upon those invisible matrices of of relationships and of possibilities for our lives to rise to the higher things. If I don't have clean water, if I don't have electricity that flows, if I don't have laws that govern my streets, if I don't have the, the processes and procedures, I simply cannot function at the level that I need to function at in order to really be at my best and contribute. So it's like you can see, we either go up together or we go down together. And us going up together, huh, that's from leadership. And us going down together, that's from a lack of leadership. That's why Christ is calling you to serve, to put your talents, to make it, to make it happen, but to serve with his spirit so that we gain something more than the selfishness of the wolves. We gain true shepherds for the sheep. This is Father Nathan. I know that there are many ways to learn leadership and that there's many great methods out there that are even put forth by Catholics. But here at the St. John Leadership Institute, we actually have a unique way of forming leaders. It's called Audeo. That's Latin for I dare. At our campus in Denver, Catholics can learn an authentically Catholic way to become a leader. Check us out on our website, stjohnleadershipinstitute.org. All right, so enough of the introduction. Let's go ahead and jump in directly to chapter one of St. Gregory's book. This is the book on the rule of shepherds, Liber Reguli Pastoralis, and by Gregory the Great. Chapter one, first of all, man, he just nails it. He's like, the fact that you are in a position of leadership really doesn't mean that you are leading in God's way, right? So he, he immediately makes a distinction between those who have the office of leaders and those who actually are doing the job they're supposed to. And does that distinction ever need to be constantly before us? Because the way the world works is if you have the power, then you are acclaimed as a leader. You know, people all bow down before you, because you have the power, I have the position, I'm the president, I'm the CEO. And everyone says, oh my goodness, you're a CEO, you're a president, right? It's like, it's a, right away, St. Gregory's like, that does not matter. As a matter of fact, It will be better off for someone to not lead if they don't have the knowledge of truth than it would be for them to lead without that knowledge of truth. Obviously, we want to make both. We want to have someone who knows truth actually be able to be in a position of leadership. That's the ideal, right? If you can have the inner knowledge combined with the outer office, well, then the outer office would serve the inner knowledge to make the inner knowledge be able to have all the impact that we want it to have. That's that's the goal. But it's very important that we remember what comes first. It's not having the power that makes you a leader. It's having the knowledge of truth. Being able to lead your people well is the whole point. (laughs) and we spend sometimes a lot of our of our effort just trying to climb the ladder trying to get into that position and we totally forget what it's all about and then by the time we get there we're so darn tired or we're so just so consumed with all the energy it's taking to get to that position that we don't do a good job he what what, here's what he actually says here in chapter one it's an amazing quote he quotes scripture from hosea 8 4 saying they have reigned and not by me. They have been set up as princes, and I knew it not. Then Gregory goes on to make this comment. He says, For those reign of themselves, and not by the will of the supreme ruler, who, supported by no virtues, and in no way divinely called, but inflamed by their own desire, seize rather than attain supreme rule. Right? So in other words, you could have the supreme rule. You could seize it by your own desires and not from virtue or being called divinely. But when you do that, God is going to tolerate that. He might allow that to happen, but you're not going to be his ruler. It's that, in other words, if you're really going after pleasing God as a ruler, as a leader, Well, the very first thing to do is make sure that you focus yourself in on what really makes you worthy of rule, which is virtue and knowledge of truth. This is a term that he refers to as unskillfulness of the leaders, that the leader himself, the shepherd, the one who would lead in the name of God has to, first of all, focus in on their knowledge of truth. Otherwise, what are you doing trying to lead? This is so important, even in our businesses. If you say, well, business doesn't have much to do with truth. Yes, it does. The truth of the human person, the truth of human dignity, the reason why you're doing what you're doing needs to inform everything that's going on in that business. Because when it does, my goodness, you then have a really powerful mechanism for promoting what really needs to be promoted. The, the end of a business is not the business. The end of the business is the doing of the business as a perfection of those who do it. He then goes on to chapter two. In chapter two, he goes, it's a really beautiful thought here. He's basically saying it's not enough just to know truth, which was chapter one, but you actually have to live it out in your life. This is something we're very sensitive to in our modern world, so I don't need to dwell on it too long, but he, he really says, you know, the, the fact is you can say that you believe in God. You can say that you're being holy, but you need to live it out in your life. I want to just say here, my friends, this is just a real practical thing. I, why God put you in a place of leadership was to put the pressure on you to live in truth, what you know to be right. To actually have every day that ability to walk out of that office And to do exactly what you know to to build up a world of authenticity and true goodness. It's just an invitation I want to make, especially over the words that you use and the way that you speak about other people to embody in your speech, the attitude of Christ so that we don't end up being like those who are just working for this world, but leading as we work in this world by the example of our lives. He says this is just absolutely imperative. I quote, there are some also who investigate spiritual precepts with cunning care, but what they penetrate with their understanding, they trample on in their lives. All at once they teach the things which not by practice, but by study they have learned. And what in words they preach, by their manners they impugn. What an amazing quote that is right and he he keeps on going about that to make that we cannot lead in the name of christ unless we are willing to practice what we know is right right so obviously that's that's something that a lot of us are sensitive to but the third is an amazing insight he speaks here of what he calls the weight of government in chapter three namely that being in charge is really hard He talks about the cross, for example. Speaking about Jesus, he says, Because he had come in the flesh to this end, that he might not only redeem us by his passion, but also teach us by his conversation, offering himself as an example to his followers, he would not be made a king, but he went of his own accord to the gibbet of the cross. He fled from the offered glory of preeminence, but desired the pain of the ignominious death so that his members might learn to fly from the favors of the world, to be afraid of no terrors, to love adversity for the truth's sake, and to shrink in fear from prosperity. Because this often defiles the heart through vainglory, while that purges it through sorrow. And he goes on, a whole lesson here for us. The leader is forged by adversity, The weight of leadership is a blessing because when things go easy, our souls tend towards corruption. And we leaders, therefore, should embrace the hardship and embrace the pain, embrace what comes as hard in our leadership as a way to keep our hearts true and make even better leaders of ourselves. What an immense blessing. Thank you, God, for your crosses. Thank you for the challenges. May we always rise up to lead them by your grace. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at That's info at And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.